You know, we're coming up on the holiday season right now with Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, you know, it's a time of good cheer and giving and gifts. And we get together with family and friends. And, you know, we're going to get together with some of our unsaved loved ones and some of our unloved saved ones. We're going to be with all of them <laughs> during this season, you know. And uh, so for some people, this season's like really causes a lot of anxiety. Uh, you know, like for some people, it's like really it's the happiest time of the year. Hi. <laughs> My mother-in-law's here. Uh, I didn't see a sneak in. Um, for some people, it causes a lot of anxiety. Uh, for you know, I know my, my wife's a counselor, and she talks about people like their anxiety just goes through the roof during this time of the, uh, time of the year. Suicides actually go up during the holiday seasons. Uh, it's a real it's a real issue. Um, and maybe that's you this morning. It's uh, you know maybe that's uh, something you struggle with. Uh, personally, you know, maybe you don't like to talk about it at church. Maybe it's not something you mention to everybody, but maybe you do. Maybe you have a hard time uh, during this season. Um, I just wanted to pray. It's not even what I'm going to talk about today. Um, I mean, my message might help with that, uh, but I just felt like I needed to pray about that this morning. If anybody, if that's you, you know, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm not asking for you to come forward or anything. Just right where you're at. Uh, I want to pray about the message and, and if you're struggling with anxiety during the holiday season. Is that all right? Uh, Father God, uh, you know everyone that's here. You know their background. You know where they're from. Uh, Lord, and you love them, and you know them. Whether they're walking with you or not, you know them. And I ask, Father God, that wherever they're at or whatever their struggle is, Father God, that during this season, that you would help them to turn to you. You said in your word, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That we would just take up that, that burden of, of knowing you and seeking you and laying our anxiety, our, our whatever burdens us, whether it's even this season or just all the time, Father God. Those who are right here listening to me now, whether they're here or they're online or listening to this a year later, it doesn't matter. Lord, I just ask that anyone who's listening that struggles with anxiety, that they could lay that at your feet, that they could lay it at your feet, and they would take up the burden of knowing you, which is easy and it's light. And I thank you, Lord, for your peace coming over them and setting them free in this area of their life, Father God, that they can walk in your joy and your truth. And just thank you, Lord, for all the things that you're going to do in response to that prayer and in people's response, just humble response to, to ask you to do so. Lord, I also ask you to watch, uh, just watch over my words this morning. And as I speak, I pray that the, the message you come across, there wouldn't be any condemnation, but it would sink in deep and it would move us to action. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'm, I am ex- very excited to be here. Uh, you know, uh, before, before I move on and talk about the message, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody in this congregation. Uh, you know, I, I did missionary work in Mexico for almost 17 years, and uh, I think from the beginning, this church has pretty well, uh, since you guys started, from the beginning, you guys have really supported us in some way financially and in prayer and other ways, and that means a lot to us. Uh, my family, we don't live on the field currently. I'm now the, I'm the director of mobilization for World Indigenous Missions. So uh, we're a sending agency. So what I do is I help recruit missionaries and train missionaries. We meet with our missionaries on the field. We have uh, 63 missionary families in 30 different countries. Uh, I've met with over half of them face-to-face already this year. Even during COVID, it's a little harder, <laughs> harder to do. Uh, but, you know, God is uh, faithful. Um, and so... I just, uh, I just appreciate you as a congregation, uh, just all that you've done. Not, not even if you didn't do anything else, I appreciate all that you guys have done for us just uh, through the years, uh, that when you've given to the church and the church has supported us, I just, it, it means a lot to us. 
We couldn't do what we're doing if you guys weren't standing behind us. So I just wanted to say thank you before we move on, okay? Um, because we love you. I, I appreciate it. You know, and, and the thing is, is we're, um, if you know somebody that's interested in doing mission work, uh, specifically we're helping, uh, our, our perfect area is helping people who have new vision or new ideas or who want to pioneer things. We, we, our missionaries come on. We don't force them to, to comply with our vision. Um, our, our, our real desire is to help them walk, each of them walk in the vision that God has called them to do. So we call it accountability without control. We also have an internship program for those 18 and above, uh, where if, if someone's interested in doing like a gap year or any kind of program from three months to two years serving in a foreign country, we have opportunities for that too. And if you have any questions, you can ask me after the service. So anyway, so this morning I want to talk about, I, got a, I asked for a verse in Luke. We're going to talk about Luke chapter, let's see, yeah, pull it up here, pull my notes. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Oh, and I wanted to say one other thing. How many of you are doing the online, uh, the, the, the one-year Bible reading program? The church, just a few, okay. I, I'm enjoying, I'm always behind, but I, I read your notes later. I want you to know. <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy it, so. You know, um, so Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. And if you're in the program, you'd know that. Okay, so Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Everybody remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was a, he was a short little, uh, he was a chief tax collector. He was short, may or may not have looked like Danny DeVito, according to Scott. You know, <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, but the thing is, is he was a chief tax collector. So the tax collectors were hated. So he's a chief tax collector, so he's what? He's like really hated, you know? And he, you know the story, he climbs a tree, he's trying to see Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm going to go to your house and eat, you know? And people start complaining, like, why'd you invite that guy to your house? I mean, why would you do that? You know, and what did Jesus say? You remember? He says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Can you just read that with me this morning? It's on the screen, if you, okay. For the son of man... <laughs> Read it again. I'm sorry, I interrupted everyone. Let's do it again. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. Now, if we're going to follow in Jesus' footsteps, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't that at least be a part of what we do? To seek and save the lost? Um, let me ask a question. Why? I, I, one thing I, another thing I like is you guys always have like your mission statement is up there. So when I ask this question, don't confuse it. I'm not asking what this church does. But why does the church exist in general? Bring glory to God. Okay. To tell others. To tell others about Christ. To love Jesus. Okay. Those are all great answers. Seek and save those who are lost. All right. I had a scripture up there. Anyone else? Fellowship together. Fellowship together. I was going to say the church wouldn't be here if someone had witnessed us. If somebody hadn't witnessed us, the church wouldn't be here. That's right. So, yeah, those are all good things. So, you know, part of, I think what Scott was even mentioned this morning, part of the calling of the church is to help us all transform into the image of Christ, right? To change us, to, not just so much to get us into heaven, get heaven into us, to change us, right? Okay, it all goes in there with that fellowship and all the things we, you guys are saying. And also, uh, as some have mentioned, to share the me- message of Christ, right? We, what do we call that? Uh, ev- evangelism, right? So what's evangelism? Basically, 
Sharing the message of Christ, right? Okay, we, you got to stay with me here. I'm going to make you all talk to me this morning because that's the way I roll, okay? I'm just, you're going to talk or it's going to get real boring. So, okay, so, so, the, so the church exists, why? To grow in the image of Christ and share the message of Christ, right? Okay, so if we're going to evangelize is to share the message of Christ. Okay, so I want to talk a little about evangelism. I know it's like I'm a missionary, so missionaries always come and they talk about evangelism and stuff like that. Uh, I actually had a different message this morning. I changed it last night. <laughs> just saying, it happened. Uh, that's why I don't have a PowerPoint or anything, so just, you know. Um, but I, I really felt like I needed to share it in spite of a, a few things. So I have a question. Whose responsibility is evangelism? Ours. When you say ours, what do you mean? Like this church particular. No, everybody. Every every person. Every believer. Well, limited to believers, I hope, right? Okay. So everyone. So I, you know, it never fails. Every time I go to a church, almost, I don't think anybody said it today, but normally every time I go to a service, somebody says, everybody's called to be a missionary. Because it's a great opportunity as a pastor, right, to say, everybody's called to be a missionary. And it always makes me laugh, though, inside, because... Uh, when I was working at the orphanage in Mexico, my wife taught me a phrase uh, that we were, we were working at the orphanage, and we're trying to assign tasks to everybody, you know, on the staff, like, you're going to do this, you're over this area, and then we had some things that were just everybody's job, like, you're all going to do this, and then everybody's going to clean the patio, because the leaves fell from these giant trees in the patio every day. So everybody's going to clean the patio. Well, my wife taught me right away, she's like, everybody's job is nobody's job. Because if it's assigned to everybody, nobody does it. Because <laughs> no one takes responsibility for it. Or one or two people do it all the time. And why? Why does that happen? People are lazy. People are lazy? Is it? Is it? Is it? I think, I think it goes around more like, um, I think it's more like people are thinking like, well, you know, well, it depends on the job. I think people are going around like, well, you know, somebody else is better equipped to do that. Somebody else is better equipped to do it. Somebody else has more time to do it. I'm so busy, but somebody else has more time to do this. Or, you know, I'm not even sure what the job is. Like, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I mean, I don't even know where I am half the time. You know, it's like, you know, or I just think there's different things that go through people's heads. Uh, you know, and it just basically come down to like, somebody else is going to do this. Because it's everybody's job, somebody else is going to do it, so I really don't have to worry about it. And I think that's what happens with evangelism. Uh, when we think about sharing our faith, I think it's like one of those things, well, everybody's supposed to be doing it, so we just assume everybody else is doing it, or we assume that somebody else is better at doing it, and we just don't do it. You know, and that's not to make anybody feel bad or come under condemnation. I mean, I'm guilty. I think we've all been guilty at times. The thing is, is it just happens, and we have to be realistic about it. So, I, 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 yeah, I worked in a lot of churches in uh, rural churches in Latin America, small, small churches. And one thing um, I noticed in the rural churches that probably never happens here, but I always compared the, the church kind of like to a football game. Well, down there, I compared it to a soccer game because uh, I feel like sometimes, you know, you have the players that are on the field. And then you have all the people that are spectators. Now, where are the most people at a soccer game or a football game? Where are they? They're, they're, in, the, they're in the bleachers. They're watching the game. Um, but in Christianity, it's not supposed to work that way. Like, God hasn't called any of us to be spectators. 
He hasn't called any of us to be spectators. Now, there are people that might be more out front, but we all have a role to play, whether we're praying, whether we're witnessing, we're sharing with the people around us, but nobody's called just to be a spectator. Amen? Anybody offended yet? I'm not done. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just getting started. <laughs> okay, so... Um, What's what I found out in, in Latin America, you know, and I think, it, I think it's true sometimes in America too. I'm, you know, I don't want to judge anybody, but I, what I saw in Latin America is sometimes people considered church attendance their service to God. That that was their service to God. Like I'm serving the Lord because I go to church once a week or I go to church twice a week. That's my service to God. Or I go to church, I, I, I'm serving God because I go to church and maybe I, I give money sometimes as I see fit. You know, it's like, that's, that's kind of, that's their service to God. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, is that's, 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 so they look at that as their service, just attending church as their service, as opposed to, I go to the church worship time to be trained so I can go out and serve the world. Does that make sense? So an, another thing I've heard uh, quite often is, uh, well, you know, evangelism, or people say, then we don't outright say it, but we think, is like, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that why he gets the big salary? So he can, right? So he can, he can go out and evangelize everybody. That's why we pay him the salaries. He can go evangelize everybody. Um, and I got another scripture I'm going to look at. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. Um, it says, uh, this is Paul's talking. He says, and he, gave, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's a lot of words, but he says he gave these specific things. He mentions five things. He mentions apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, that word is also pastors and teachers. And it says he gave them for what? What does it say in verse 12? It's on the screen in front of you. You don't have your Bible. What does it say in verse 12? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? If you're a saint, raise your hand. Come on, you're either a saint or you ain't. I mean, it's like, is that you are? Are you a saint? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a saint. Okay, so you can say it with me. To equip me for the work of the ministry. It's not somebody else. That's, that's you. That's you. So we come together not, you know, this, this, is, a, this is a time of worship, but our, our service to God is in the world. We go out from here to serve. Um, so we're all equally ministers of Christ. You know, and uh, there's a passage that kind of highlights that, and we're, I'm going to move on from this in a second, but I just wanted to highlight it. Um, passage, we, we talk about the Great Commission. Anybody know what the Great Commission is? Last chapter of, Ma of Mark, Mark 16, 15 says that we need to proclaim the gospel to who? To all creation, right? Then Matthew 28 says we need to make disciples of all nations. So we call that the Great Commission, um, but what about the great omission? Anybody know what the great omission is? <laughs> the great omission? Uh, great omission is when we just don't do what God told us to do. If he commissioned us to do it and we don't do it, then it's, it's an omission. We're, we're not doing it. Uh, yeah. So if we're not evangelizing, so I wanted this morning just to think, if you don't have a passion or desire to share, because sometimes what happens is we just don't share because it doesn't burn in our hearts. It's not something we think about. Our minds are occupied with other things. So I want to ask you something this morning. Um, 
If we're not sharing our faith, if we don't share our faith on a regular basis, we're not evangelizing, maybe you don't even have any desire to share your faith. It's not something that ever crosses your mind. You never desire to do it. Um, you know, and like I said, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just, let's, let's talk about it. Um, if you're not doing it, you need to ask yourself a few questions. First off, uh, do I really believe, do I really believe that unbelievers or those who don't know Christ will be separated from God for eternity? Do I believe what the Bible says about hell? I mean, that's, it's worth asking, especially in our society right now, that that seems so intolerant when we talk about, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And there's a lot of people condemn that, that point of view. And because of our society, it's, it's worth asking yourself, do I really believe the gospel? Do I really believe the gospel has the power to change lives and transform people? You need to ask yourself, am I really a closet universalist? You know, am I a closet universalist? Do I really in my heart believe that God's just going to let everybody go to heaven? And maybe that's why I don't, share, I don't share my faith because I think, well, he's a pretty good person, so he's probably going to get in there. It's worth asking. It's worth thinking about. Um, asking yourself, like, what are, what are my real motives? What's really going on in my heart? Um, why am I indifferent uh, to the Great Commission? Um, personally, personally, I struggle with sharing my faith sometimes because I don't like confrontation. Uh, you know, I... Some people have a hard time believing this, but I'm actually a pretty shy person when I don't have a microphone on. Uh, you know, uh, like it, it, it costs me something to just go up to a total stranger, you know, but most of the time that's not where evangelism happens anyway. It's not with strangers. It's with the people that God's placed around you. I, John said something this morning I thought was great. He talks about, you know, the way he lets the Lord leads him, lead him is he just does the thing that God puts in front of him. When you look at the people that God has placed around you in your life, in your school, in your work, uh, your neighbors, you know, people in your family, God has placed you at, at this time and for this season. And he's placed people around you and you're the one that's there. It's not me. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, Put it this way, how many of you have, do have unsaved loved ones that you pray for? Okay, so we all know somebody. How many have unsaved loved ones that, that maybe they live far away, but you pray for them? How many of you have ever prayed, maybe, they're right, maybe they live in your house, but you're still praying, God, send somebody to talk to them. <laughs> Say, God, maybe you're saying, God, send somebody else to talk to them. Yes. How many of you? I want to see hands. We're, we're, come on, am I the only one? Oh, come on. You have prayed. I'm telling you, you have prayed. God, send somebody to talk to them and tell them about the Lord. I want to see hands. If you've done it. I'm, I have. I have. I pray for my brother all the time. He lives in Memphis. You know, I'm not there. You know, I have. But why? You're praying that because you believe that God's going to send somebody. So I want to ask you a question this morning. You ever think that maybe you're the person that somebody else is praying that God will send to talk to their loved one? Maybe you're the person. You're the one that's called because you're there and God's put you with this person that somebody else is crying out for and he's placed you as a representative. And maybe you're saying, oh, there's somebody else who could share the message better, but you're there and they're not. And maybe you think, well, there's somebody else who understands better how to do this, but you're there and they're not. You're there. God placed you there for a reason. Not them, not me, not your pastor. He placed you there. He placed you in that home. He placed you in that job. He placed those people around you so you could speak to them. 
And he's given you what you need. He's got, you've got that treasure in an earthen vessel and it's a salvation. It's a message of God to free the lost and the nations and it has a power to change lives. How many of you, your, your lives, your personal life was changed by the gospel? Okay, it still works. It still works. The gospel hasn't changed. It hasn't lost its power. It still works. God is still changing lives. I still hear the testimonies of people saved out of drug addiction. We have a missionary down in, uh, down, down in Mexico right now. They're working in a si- circle of silence. And he said his primary church planter is in a really rough region where they don't have, you know, they don't have uh, evangelical churches. The primary church planter is this guy who is saved out of the drug cartels. You know, he's all, he's got tattoos from head to toe and the guy was, he was a rough guy and now he's out planting churches all over the place, you know, and, and that's who they're working with. So God's still changing lives. He is still changing lives. Um, so I have, I have some other things I want to say, so I don't want you to get confused what I'm going to do right now. I want to pray again. I know this guy prays all the time, right? We're to, I want to pray again. And I want to pray for, and ask God to stir up our hearts and give us a passion for the lost. And then I have something else I want to say. So I'm not done. Don't leave. Because <laughs> I was like, you know, it's like, well, I kind of talked a while and he's praying. So I guess, you know, I'm going to the bathroom. I'll get the car keys and we'll get lunch ready. Uh, you know, please stay. Stay here. Don't check out on me. All right. I just want to pray and ask God to stir up our hearts with a passion for the lost. Can we do that? Okay. Um, Father God. Father God, we just lay aside every distraction. There's so many things that come into our minds, Lord, uh, to make us tired, to distract us, to make us think on other things. But this morning, Lord, I ask that you would stir up within our hearts a genuine passion to see men and women, children come to know you, Lord God, that you would stir our hearts, stir our hearts, Lord God, with a, a love for the lost, a love for those around us, Father God, that we would see their need, that we would be aware, that we'd be moved with compassion to action that we would be moved with compassion to action. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness. And I know, as we pray this morning, I know that you hear me. I'm not asking for some crazy thing, Lord. I'm asking for something according to your will, that your people would be moved with bowels of compassion to reach those around them. And so I ask for that this morning, Lord God. I know there's many in this congregation that are already doing it. They're already reaching out. But Father God, I ask that even more, that it would just be a natural thing that would flow from this congregation, that they would be known in this community, Lord God, as, as those who, who love those around them, that love their community, that Old Town Spring would even see itself transformed by the love and the actions of love that flow flow out of this place and the words of love and the gospel transforming lives, Father God. And I just ask in Jesus' name, I ask, Father God, that you would bring in the people, that you would bring in the people from the north, south, east, and west, that this building would not be enough to contain the, 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 the souls that are going to come here to hear the gospel, to have their lives transformed, that this building would not be enough to contain them. And we thank you, Lord. I thank you that you hear me. And don't stress Scott out about that. But I just pray that, I, I pray that I thank you for you hear, hearing me this morning, Lord, and for the work you're going to do in this place. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. In Jesus' name. So before I leave, don't leave. See, I said, I warned you, don't go. So a lot of times we'll talk about the need to share the gospel. So it, when, when I was in Mexico, I taught regular classes at Bible schools on how to do evangelism. And we would, it would be like a week long. I'm not going to do that this morning. <laughs> But, uh, but I, did want to, I didn't want to just say, hey, you need to evangelize and not talk about just some basic tools, okay? Um, so 
I just want to give you something before we go. Um, in Luke, actually Mark chapter 1, verse 17. I might have that one. I don't remember. Mark 1, 17. And the ESV, Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. He didn't say, I will show you how to fish for men. He said, I will make you become fishers of men. Uh, I think the most important thing, if we're going to reach the lost around us, it's not about learning tactics. It's not about learning tactics or strategies. I mean, there's a place for learning tactics, strategies, and tools, and things like that. I mean, that's why I teach classes. But I think it's more important is who we are, that we are transformed people, speaking the love of God to those around us. Because people can see through it if you're just using some kind of memorized formula or things like that. So we need to be authentic and real with those around us and loving people in a genuine, authentic way. And then when we speak, it will have impact. Maybe you won't say it the right way. You might quote the verse wrong. You might say something. It's okay. You know, uh, the thing is that you're genuinely loving people and God will use you. Trust me. So, so, but we talk about, it is, it is important though. If you are going to share the gospel, it's important that you, you, <clears throat> you know the message. Uh, you know, because you can't share something. You can't talk about something if you don't know what you're talking about. So, uh, so if we were going to re- reduce... You know, like uh, when I, if I was doing a class, I tell people, you know, we reduce the basic gospel message. There's a lot of things you can say, but if you at least basically boil it down, distill it down to three basic concepts, uh, the first being uh, uh, man's problem. What is man's problem? I bet you all know it. Come on, you know some of these verses. What, what is man's problem? Sin. What are some Bible verses we know that, that, that highlight that? For all of sin, Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Any, anyone else know another one? For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Another one. Another good one I use sometimes. It's uh, as Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is, there is no one just, no, not one. Like we have all missed it. All, the only one who made it was Jesus. Amen? Okay. Uh, another verse I use sometimes because this is the one that actually impacted me. Like uh, when I wasn't a believer, I remember getting out the big family Bible someone had given. It was like one of those you get at a wedding, like the giant ones that you won't, it's huge, pictures in it. Uh, it was, uh, I was reading Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, and it says, uh, But the cowards, the unbelievers, the abominable, the assassins, the immoral, the, uh, those who practice witchcraft and idolaters, it says they will have their place in the lake of fire. And I remember reading that, and my heart was struck, and I was like, you know, I'm perverse. I was like, you know, 14 years old at the time, and I was like, oh, I'm perverse in my thoughts. You know, I hadn't done all these other things, but I was like, but I am guilty of this, and, you know, I do hate a lot of people, and I remember just feeling like, you know, I'm lost, uh, you know, and there was no one there to explain the gospel to me. So I spent like a year just realizing I was, I heard the bad part of the good news. So anyway, so the first part's man's, you know, but it, but it stewed, I stewed in it. Like, so when I heard the gospel, I was like, finally, there's a way out of this. Um, so that, you know, so the bad part, uh, you know, the, the man's problem, sin. Okay, so then God's, God's solution, if we're going to distill it down to three points, man's problem, God's solution is what? Jesus, right? there you go. We can just say it like that. Okay, what we could give the other part of, uh, we, we quoted the first part of Romans 6.23, which is the wages of sin is death. The second part is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What's another verse we could use to tell people about God's solution to our sin problem? Uh, yeah, John 14.6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Uh, you know, you could talk... Uh, Romans, uh, Romans 5, 8, 
But God showed his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, you could talk about a really well-known one. I'm surprised you waiting for someone to say John 3, 16. <laughs> oh, did, oh, sorry. Sorry, you know, I, I'm a little hard of hearing. I'm 48 now, and it's like I just, I got five kids, and I, I was telling them, if there's any background noise, I don't know what you're saying. I'm like, we hear half it. So, yeah, John 3, 16, that's a great one, too. For God so loves the world. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, there's, there, there's a ton of verses we can use, but the whole point is, you can just memorize a couple. When I first went to Mexico, like, I didn't even speak Spanish yet, but I memorized, like, what we call the Romans Road. I memorized all these verses in Spanish. I couldn't expound on them because, and I'm sure I was butchering on my pronunciation, but I was like, I memorized these scriptures that I could use to share my faith right away. It was something I had. Um, and so I just think it's a good tool to have. It doesn't mean you're going to be going scripture, you know, quoting a chapter and verse to somebody on the street, but it, it gives you a comfort to at least know that you know what you're talking about. Because sometimes that's, you know, if, if fear is the major obstacle for a lot of people to share the faith, I think the second would be an uncertainty of like, am I sharing the right thing? You know, and if you have that scriptural backing, at least it'll give you a certainty, you know, I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just, I'm not just saying words, I know what I'm talking about. And, and being able to back it up with scripture also if you're talking, talking to people. Um, so, you know, we talked about man's problem, God's solution. And the last point I always like to bring in is our responsibility and actually, that's the verse I usually use, John three sixteen. there. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, that whosoever believes in him um, should have eternal life. But I, I, it's where you kind of bring the person to a point where they take some ownership of their life and their life decisions and making a choice to, to choose Christ. Um, not necessarily you have to get them to pray some kind of prayer or something, but it's, it's important that they come to faith in what they understand, what, what they're guilty of, the sin that we're all guilty of. Um, and that, that and which is also another way, you know, I know there's a lot of groups out there that teach different methods, like way of the master and stuff like that, which I like their stuff, but I typically go at it a more passive aggressive way. <laughs> just, I'm like, <laughs> just say it like it is. Uh, well, cause I, 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 I think it's important. Like we talk about knowing the message, but I think it's also important to, when we're, we're going to share like tools to share the gospel. Let me get back to my notes here. Uh, it's important to know the message. I would say, uh, I, I'd give you four points for sharing the tools I'm going to give you this morning for sharing the gospel. I, I won't keep you here all day, I promise. Okay, the first one would be know the message. We talked about that. The second one I would say is use your testimony. Yes. Use your testimony. Practice sharing your testimony. Now, it might sound weird, but if you take the time to write out your testimony, maybe write it on a paper, like distill your testimony, especially if you're the kind of person when you start talking, you ramble all over the place, you know, and before, you know, you're talking about your grandma who died three generations ago or something, I don't know, like you're just talking about all kinds of stuff and you lose people. So practice sharing your testimony. I always tell people where you can share it in under three minutes, under three minutes. So we do the classes, like that's something I have, the, I have students do, sit down, we're going to talk about your testimony, you're going to write out your testimony, you're going to share it with a group in under three minutes. And then we share it over and over and over again. And now, 
when you're on the street, and if you've got your testimony kind of memorized, when you share with people, it might come out a little different each time because you're looking at the situation of the person that they're in. And you kind of adapt your story so it makes a bridge to whatever they're going through or maybe something they're talking about, and you connect with them, you know? So it's real. And so you want to look for some way to connect with their current life situation. It's not just randomly walking up to somebody. Hey, let me tell you my testimony. It's, it's looking for a natural flow in the conversation where you can talk about your testimony. Um, it's, it's important. It's important. You know, people, especially nowadays, some people want to get into apologetics and they want to fight with you. And you believe in a young creation. You believe this and that. It's like, I want to tell you what I believe about how God changed my life. You know, they can argue all, all they want about other things, but they can't argue is the transforming power, what God did in your personal life. That's your personal testimony. Does that make sense? Uh, another thing I think is really important, often overlooked when we we're going to uh, share our faith. First one, what was it? I said, know your message. Now, come on, talk to me. Don't go to sleep yet. Come on. Food's still going to be waiting. Turkey's in the oven or whatever you're doing. Know the message. <laughs> Know the message. Next week. All right. Know the message. Say it with me. Know the message. Come on. Come back. Know, know the message. Know the message. Second, you, oh, share your testimony. Use your testimony. It, use it. You know, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. <laughs> Amen? The word of the testimony. Okay. Third thing. Third thing I would say, if we're going to share our faith with those around us. This is really deep, so maybe write it down. Pray. (laughs) Pray. Uh, Pray for God to touch hearts, open doors, and do miracles. He still does those things. He still speaks to people. He still does miracles. He still works in people's hearts. Um, So, I witness differently if I'm witnessing to like a taxi cab driver that I don't know if I'll ever see again or an Uber driver if I'm talking to someone like that or if I'm, um, if I'm with a coworker that I'm going to see every day or a family member, you know, you know what I mean? Like someone that I maybe just see once in a while so I witness differently uh, depending on the circumstance. Um, but if there's someone in your life, what I would ask is this, is that you pray and ask God to show you where he is working. You know, and if there's someone that's laid on your heart, like you keep thinking about this person, like, oh, they need Jesus. Maybe that's something that God's already showing you, like to pray for that person. You're feeling it in your heart. You're concerned for them. It's a sign that you're that person. Somebody's praying for you to witness to them and pray. So I like to pray for people by name. If I know who it is to pray for them by name and specifically call out for that person, God, touch their heart. So I want to give you an example. Uh, there was a lady who worked for, for our ministry in, in Mexico when I was on the coast, actually, where you went down here. Um, and her name was Cello. She worked in the kitchen. She wasn't a believer, didn't know the Lord. And so we, we asked, uh, I remember, um, you know, we tried talking to her about God. She's just never interested. She, you know, that wasn't part of her life. She didn't care. She didn't want to know. She was a good worker, but she didn't, she wasn't spiritual. And, um, so we started praying for her specifically by name. God, we ask you to just touch Cello's heart. Open up her heart to the gospel. Open up her heart so she can believe your word and know you. And, um, and we look for opportunities to serve her. So uh, she had really bad eyes, and we were taking her to this eye clinic that was up in the mountains. And Bill was driving a truck. And back then, we were on this, we were on this, na- well, this really narrow road that curved through the mountains. 
Um, it's a really bad road. The name of the road, they call the road the sepulcher, which, which means the grave. <laughs> so if, it, if you're on a road called the grave, you know it's bad. You know, it's like big drop on one side. Um, and we, we come up behind a semi. I remember we're driving the road and we come up behind this semi. And in Mexico, uh, like you're on a skinny road like that, if a, if a vehicle turns on their blinker on, on the left side, right side, and there's just a drop off on that side, they're not saying they're going to turn left. What they're saying is you can go around me. And so we're behind this big like double semi and he turns on his blinkers like you can go around me. And so Bill gets out and he's going around the semi. We get about right in the middle. It's a double semi. He gets right in the middle and then there's this bus comes around the corner. And it's like, well, do you got it? Do you hit the brake and try to go backwards? And uh, I mean, I think all of us thought, you know, we, we might die right now, you know, it's like, because it's a sheer drop on the other side, and there's a wall on this side, and there wasn't anywhere to go, and Bill guns it, uh, you know, he, he guns the gas, and we're going back. Uh, I remember uh, Cello, because we were taking, we were actually, she was with us, so the reason we we're on this trip is Cello was with us, and we're taking her to get her eyes examined at, at this uh, clinic, um, so it was just the three of us in the car. Cello screams. She's an older lady, and she just screamed, ah! We get around, we get around the, we get around the semi, and I think she was still screaming, like, you know, we're all like, ah! <laughs> it's like, I'm okay, um, and uh, it was like, there she goes, and, uh, you know, and then we just kind of sat there, we, Bill's driving down the road, and we're like in, I mean, we're all like, it was, it was a real scary moment, and uh, <laughs> to say the least, and uh, this is like a dead silence in the car. Like, she kind of calms down. There's a dead silence. Nobody's talking, and uh, I just kind of put my hand. I'm sitting in the back seat, and I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, man, Chelo, I said, I'm really glad I know where I'm going when I die. <laughs> you know, it's like, it was just a timely moment, <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but I left it right there. Like, I didn't, I didn't try to push it because it was a high emotion moment. And, I, you know, it needed to be something that she would think about. But I just, I just like, left that right there, you know. And uh, it was, uh, like, less than a week later, we were having a prayer service at the house. So we really started praying for her, you know, after that. And uh, we were having a prayer service at the house. And this, uh, uh, an American pastor had come down. And he was actually leading his prayer uh, group in, in the front room of our house. She's way in the back. It, it was a huge facility. Scott's seen it. It was a huge facility. He's praying in English. He's praying in English. She's in the kitchen. And uh, I just happened to walk by and I saw her. She was, uh, she was bawling. And I was like, hey, Chella, what's going on? And she said, she said, I'm supposed to be in that in the service. I need to be in there. He's talking about something I need to hear. Well, he was praying in English. <laughs> she was like, but I know that God wants to do something in my life and I'm supposed to be in there. And I said, well, then I'll go in here. I'll work in here. You go, go get in the prayer meeting. <laughs> so I sent her. She ended up receiving Christ that day uh, there in the, in the prayer service, which was going to be an English service. She ended up uh, receiving Christ and God just touched her and filled her and it just changed her life. And she became a completely different person. But we began praying for her by name. And I've got, I mean, I've got a lot of testimonies of, of people like that, where we begin calling for somebody by name, specifically by name, asking God to work in their heart. Um, and then God uh, did a miracle in their life, you know, where just we're kind of being attentive, the, the door opened up, and we were able to come in and share the gospel, and, and there's a response. You know, I, I know a lot of you have probably testimonies like that, maybe your personal testimony. Well, the thing is, God's still doing those things, and he can use you 
to do those things in the lives of others. Does that make sense? Okay. So I'm not talking craziness. Okay. You know, there's a... You just don't know. You don't know who that person is, the person you're going to talk to, the person you're going to rest. You don't know what they're going to go on to do. I read a story. I was doing one of those version Bible studies. Uh, another one was my, was my son, Josiah. And there was a story in there about Samuel Crowther. I don't know if any of you read that one. Um, Samuel Crowther in the 1800s, his family, they were, um, they were from Nigeria and they were captured and they were uh, being shipped across the ocean. They were going to be sold as slaves. And uh, this group came in and rescued them. There was a patrol group and they rescued them uh, from the boat and took them to Sierra Leone. And Samuel Crowther uh, began, um, he, he was exposed to the, to the Bible and he became a Christian there in Sierra Leone and learned multiple languages. He translated the Bible into various like tribal dialects and became the first Anglican bishop, uh, the first black Anglican bishop. Uh, but it, the thing was about that story really struck me though was uh, the enemy had a different plan for his life. The enemy's plan was for him to live his life as a slave. And I think how many people around us right now, that that's the enemy's plan for them, that they've been sold as slaves to sin, and that's the, that's the path they're going down, that they're, they're lost, and maybe their path right now looks like a path of misery. But we don't know what God's calling is on their life. You don't know that God would take that person and snatch them out of misery and, and do something amazing or phenomenal with them. We just don't know. There's so many people I met like on the mission field that their testimony was, that was something like that, that they were bound in misery or they were lost or, you know, it was like they were involved in really bad things and they were doomed. And I think of my own life, um, you know, the, the path that I was on and how God pulled me out of it. Since we don't know what God can do. You don't know what God can do with that grumpy person that sits next to you at work. I mean, you don't know. You don't know what God could do with, with, with that family member that's lost or those people around you. just don't know what God's calling is on their lives. So we can't make them respond. That's not our responsibility, but we need to go fishing. We need to go fishing. We need to cast it out there, cast the truth out there and give them that opportunity to respond and see if God work in their heart and ask the Lord to work and then trust him to, to work and do what he wants to do. You know, but the thing is we need to just do our part. Amen. So, <clears throat> thank you all for coming this morning um, and hearing me. I know it's a uh, might have talked a long time, but I uh, I hope that this was useful and practical. That you can take it, and I hope no one walks out here with condemnation. Well, I'm going to be sharing my faith, and I, I hope that you you leave and you're encouraged to to go out and share and with those around you. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to talk to you. My uh, I got cards over there you, uh, you can call. Um, you know, I really just think it's important that you do it. I was talking about telling another story, but you know, I got so many stories, I'd be here all day. Uh, so, so, well, I'm going to tell one more story. Okay, just, okay, just real quick, real quick. Any baseball fans? Any baseball fans? Okay. Okay. I was like the worst baseball player. Okay. I was just the worst, absolute worst baseball player. Um, my, my stepdad and my mom signed me up for a baseball team, but they never wanted to practice with me. I was just kind of stuck there, and I was afraid of the ball. You know, that's like the worst thing for a little kid. If you're afraid of the ball, you can't really do anything. So I would, they'd put me up at bat, and I would just stand there with the bat. 
you know, and the ball would come across and it'd be like strike one. Like my best hope was that it would accidentally hit me with the ball because I just didn't, I just didn't, I mean like it was like, please hit me with the ball so I get on first, you know, or, 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 or throw fouls or something because I, I was afraid to swing the bat. I mean, just straight up, I was afraid to swing the bat. So I stood there like the whole season, every time I was at bat, it got so bad, the other kids would make fun of me. I mean, I was a little kid. The other kids would make fun of me. People would laugh. I think even the other parents were like, oh, it's that kid. You know, it's like, (laughs) and I would just stand there and I was so afraid that I would, I was so afraid that I was going to swing and miss that I didn't swing at all. And I, you know, and I remember the last, it was our very last game, the coach, really kind guy, came up to me and he was just like, he was like, Ronnie, he said, you know, I don't care if you hit the ball. He goes, I just don't want you to go through the whole season and you don't even swing the bat. Just, just get out there today and they throw it, just swing. Just, just swing the bat. He said, just swing the bat. And if you hit it, great. And if you don't, at least you tried. And I was like, okay. So I was like, Got up there and he'd throw the ball and I just watched it go across like I did every time, the first time. And he's like, swing, just swing, just swing the bat. <laughs> Second ball, I just swung at it, kind of nicked it, it you know, kind of went out. And then the third one, I connected with it and it was a home run. No, that's like movies. I, no, I'm, but I, I, but I, I mean, I think I got on first and tagged me out on second or something like that. But, but the thing was, I, I hit the ball though. I did hit the ball. And I, I thought about that, uh, a lot of times in my life, there's so many times, and I am ending right here, that I, I think that, I promise, I promise. Uh, the, uh, I, I think so many times, like even with soul witness, you know, for witnessing or soul winning or even things we do for the Lord, so many times we're just, or even, even just in life in general, there's things that God puts in front of our path that sometimes we don't do it because that fear of failure keeps us from even trying. And so I just want to encourage you, like, maybe you're like, oh, you know, that really sounds good. I just don't know if I can do it. I'm saying, if you, if you swing and miss, it's better than not trying at all. It's better than not even putting the attempt in. Just give it a shot. Maybe you'll flounder through it. Maybe you'll sow seeds, though, that someone else will reap in. Maybe God will use you greatly. You just don't know if you don't try. But I will tell you one thing. The more you swing, the better you'll get at it. And... You know, when I first started trying trying to share my faith with other people, I used to scare people away. I remember I got saved in high school, and people would run uh, when I started sharing my faith. And then I realized I needed to tone it down a little. And, you know, the thing is, is the more you do it, the better you get at it, just like anything else. So just get out there and swing.